And I'm coming through okay. Yeah. Good. Uh-oh. There's a warning on Brad's. He's frozen. What? The pending recording must be successfully created and saved. What's going on? I don't know. Why does my health check say warning? Man, your audio signature is so much stronger than mine. Yeah. My health check passed before. Now it says... Brad has a warning. Check, check. The recommended memory is 8 gigabytes. Eh, whatever. I don't know what any of these buttons do. Worst case scenario, we'll try it again next week. What? This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark time. So, Obi-Wan says about the lightsaber when we first saw one in 1977 this is the weapon of a jedi not as clumsy or as random as a blaster an elegant weapon for a more civilized time i would say it like uh like obi-wan but i i think uh you wouldn't understand my mexican accent obi-wan <laughs> we should have gotten pat on for that <laughs> Absolutely. So we oohed and odd when Luke ignited it, and the rest is history. Kids have fan- fantasized about lightsabers for decades, and there is something magical about that glow stick, the hum, the sight of a Jedi ready to battle. Um, tonight, we are joined, Brad and myself are joined by the illustrious guardian of the archives, Rob himself from the Jedi Temple Archives. Rob, Welcome to the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast again, my friend. Well, thank you guys for having me back. I'm looking forward to talking about some lightsaber action this evening. Excellent. And uh, Brad, uh, thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's like old times, Brad. Yeah, we're, we're going to get back to it. Uh, we've been talking and uh, we're going to get back to doing more of these good old fashioned podcasts and doing it with the uh, deep dive perspective that we brought to it early on and uh, happy to be talking about lightsabers tonight. It seems like a basic topic, but I think there's actually uh, a lot to get into here tonight. Absolutely, and um, I put it in the ch- uh, in the uh, on the Twitterverse. Uh, I, I posed the question um, regarding a certain aspect of lightsaber lore, something that uh, has you know not been free of controversy talking about uh, bleeding of the crystal and uh, we'll talk about it in a little bit but we had a lot of people chime in some for some against vehemently and some are on the fence uh, didn't mind too much but um, let's uh, let's dive right in you know 1977 we saw that wonderful image of Luke uh, lighting up his father's lightsaber um, and I don't know if you guys, uh, remember way back then we were all small children and, uh, seems like a lifetime ago, but, uh, what were your first thoughts on, uh, seeing a lightsaber? Rob, cool. since you're our guest, let's go with you. Coolest weapon in the universe. 
in the galaxy uh, probably is more appropriate term given given Star Wars. But no, uh, certainly something that we had not seen before. Uh, I know you know Lucas certainly a big fan of swashbuck the swashbuckling sagas of his childhood, uh, and for him to translate that over uh, into a sword that was certainly far more appropriate to a sci-fi type setting. Uh, just brilliant. And again, I think that, uh, it, they truly are elegant weapons. You, you look at the lightsaber hilts that, that they designed back then with those Graflex, uh, handles and the fact that, you know, that was the iconic star Wars lightsaber. Uh, I actually just broke down and bought the, uh, Obi-Wan episode four saber. I've got that coming here, hopefully in time for Scarif Khan. Uh, you know, even today they, they stand up, they just, they look so much different than anything we'd seen at that point. Uh, and it just completely changed the idea of, of combat, uh, in a sci-fi type fantasy setting. Absolutely. I think it's, uh, it's something that, you know, audiences, uh, had never seen up until that point. And, uh, they truly are, uh, very elegant, um, but, uh, Brad, what do you, uh, what do you say about lightsabers and your earliest memories? Well, for the record, you guys were little kids, uh, in 1977, uh, when that movie came out, uh, I was <laughs> not yet in this world just, just so we got that clear. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'll echo what Rob <laughs> said. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it was, uh, it was mind blowing because it took your, you know, the, the, the sword or the saber has been with us, you know, forever since man could, you know, craft weapons. But this futuristic take on it, uh, just something brand new. And um, I got to say, the, the TIE Fighter is probably my favorite uh, sound in, in Star Wars. But uh, right behind that would, would be the, the hum of the lightsaber and just the, uh, the work that they did uh, crafting those sounds was amazing. So, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's amazing. That is awesome. Yeah, I, I really love the TIE Fighter sound too. The uh, screaming and howling in space uh, as it flies by. Uh, really, really cool. But yeah, that, that there's something about that magical hum that, uh, you know, that comes from that lightsaber. Let's go back in time a little bit because obviously uh, the first lightsaber we see was in, uh, in Star Wars A New Hope or Star Wars as it was called back then. Luke Skywalker's lightsaber, Luke Skywalker's father's lightsaber, to be exact. It's, uh, you know, a tale that was introduced in that scene when Obi-Wan takes it out of the, uh, of the case there. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. I always talk about a bit of trivia there. Do you guys know uh, what... Um, that relationship, the, the case, uh, how that relates to, uh, Superman, a little trivia here. I've said before on past, uh, episodes. I do not. Uh, there, there's, yeah, and I know we've talked about this and, 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 uh, you know, that was what, two years ago that you gave this <laughs> reference. Uh, it wasn't there something else in the box or, or something that was Superman related. So the box the the box prop that uh, that Obi Wan takes the lightsaber out is the same box prop that uh, Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor takes out the uh, the kryptonite in uh, in Superman and puts it around uh, Superman's neck. So it's the same prop. Uh, really cool little tidbit of trivia. 
uh, from uh, old Hollywood there. And uh, I, I just think it's pretty cool. Indeed. So getting back to, uh, you know, our first glimpse of a lightsaber. And, you know, it's funny, uh, Rob, you had mentioned the Graflex. And every time I see an old 60s movie where they have paparazzi, you know, snapping away, I always look to see if somebody's holding a lightsaber, which is pretty cool. And for those of you, obviously, that don't know where the lightsaber prop came from, you know, it's all it was all a money saving tactic uh, to look at uh, real world items and then kind of uh, take parts uh, apart, take take things apart and then make them into uh, something that might be used in the galaxy far, far away. And the Graflex flash holder is uh, the basic uh, uh, remnant of what uh, ended up being a lightsaber. So that's really cool. And those things are still in use. Uh, today, for the most part, people still use some of the old Graflex uh, lighting equipment, so it's really cool to kind of see what is out there. Um, you know, again, the ingenuity of the folks uh, behind the scenes at Lucasfilm. Uh, but uh, I'm going to ask Brad, what um, what is what's your takeaway, Brad, as far as uh, this weapon of a Jedi? Obviously, the Jedi were kind of set um set up to be kind of priests and uh, almost monk-like uh figures uh we see obi-wan kenobi for the first time he's kind of a recluse he's you don't know who's who he is but then all of a sudden he's talking about the jedi and these weapons uh that are more elegant than blasters um have we ever heard of monks with uh, such you know kick-ass weapons what's going on there yeah, and, and I think, you know, before, you know, I'll get back to that, but I think one of our biggest problems now is we are so watered down with lightsabers. Um, like, the the prequels were cool because we got to see more of them. We finally got to see the Jedi in action, but we were literally then flooded with lightsabers. So their, maybe their importance and their, and their meaning kind of got uh, diluted from seeing so many of them. Um, but yeah, you know, very much, you know, you know, his, you know, George Lucas's love of, of, uh, Eastern films, uh, and, and religion, uh, his, uh, his love of Joseph Campbell and his, uh, you know, interpretation of Eastern philosophies and mythologies, you know, this, this is totally a samurai, uh, type, um, weapon here where they basically link their life, which is, you know, uh, episode two where Obi-Wan says, you know, this weapon is your life. Uh, very, you know, it's a, it's a samurai type thing to do where they were, you know, uh, they're ready, ready for combat, whatever. And it was part of their religion, um, part of their life. Um, but, uh, you know, never for attack, you know, always for defense, but, you know, having this weapon ready, you know, on their, on their belt, um, is a very Eastern, uh, way of presenting that, uh, in, in the old samurai type, uh, manner. And that's one of the things I love, you know, obviously hearkening back to old stories from that uh, Eastern, uh, you know, storytelling way. I I think, uh, you know, the Jedi and the samurai have a lot in common. Obviously, we see the similarities between the design of Darth Vader's helmet and his outfit to the samurai uh, of, of ancient Japan and the feudalism, uh, you know, aspect of Japan, I think is really cool. Uh, but let's uh, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Um, 
I was teasing Chantel that I was going to go into this show without notes. So I'm, uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to rock this without any uh, guidance here, but let's, uh, let's talk about the importance of, of uh, the lightsaber and that weapon to a Jedi, because it's, you know, we'll, we'll get into it later. It, it uh, signifies something different to a Sith. Uh, obviously Jedi's mortal enemy. Um, but Rob, um, do you have any thoughts on, on the, the importance of this weapon to a Jedi? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it very much, uh, does kind of go with that whole philosophy of, of knowledge and defense. Um, one of the main things, certainly with the lightsabers, especially in the, in the more recent times within Star Wars is that, uh, you know, the whole process of these, uh, Padawans going out and going into these uh, crystal caves and finding their Kyber crystal. Uh, the crystals would basically call out to them and and lead the Jedi to them. Uh, and then once the Jedi had actually claimed their Kyber crystal, they were always uh, completely translucent at first. But when the Jedi would, uh, would claim their Kyber crystal, that's when it would take on the color that would then uh, define what that blade color was going to be. So uh, they were very personal to the Jedi. They were very much attuned to the Jedi and the Force. Uh, the process of the Jedi then kind of uh, attenuating that crystal even more so as they integrated it with their lightsaber and built that lightsaber uh, was very much uh, it was it was very much them um, kind of finding that bond with that Kyber crystal in the force. So it was something that, uh, kind of caused them to look inwards and, uh, and kind of know themselves. And, uh, that then translated into that relationship and that attenuation with that Kyber crystal. Absolutely. And we're, uh, we'll touch on the aspect of, uh, the opposite end where, uh, a Sith, uh, you know, uses, uh, his or her powers to kind of, uh, alter the the crystal in in some form of the lore that we are known uh to 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 you know to know about the lightsaber um but i you know i i think it's really cool i mean i i don't think you know star wars obviously came out in 1977 i don't think there's a weapon uh that you can hold in your hand as cool um as the lightsaber i think uh even now people are just in awe at the the just the sheer you know, imaginative force of, of, of holding this blade that's virtually a, a light, uh, a light blade in your hand. I, I think, uh, you know, it goes a long way to instilling kind of a, a, a mysterious lore to the Jedi and the Sith, obviously, uh, for various reasons. I think, uh, you know, the lightsabers obviously will go down in cinematic history, if anything, as uh, one of the most coolest weapons in, in fiction. Yeah, to the to the Jedi, you know, it allowed them to do now in the prequels, they became a lot more militant because they made the mistake of aligning themselves with the uh, with the Republic, with the government. But, you know, from the traditional aspect, it allowed them to do what they want, which was more actually literally disarming uh, their 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 foe. Uh, you saw that with, you know, Obi-Wan in, in the original cantina scene, if they could cut somebody's arm off instead of killing them. Uh, and then stop the fight, they would do that. Um, but it also, um, you know, it means something to us, but it also meant something to other people in the galaxy. If you go back to episode one, um, you've got a kid uh, like Anakin, uh, obviously Anakin's special, but, you know, you know, you have a little kid on this the remote uh, outer world or outer rim planet, and uh, he just catches a glimpse of the lightsaber hilt on Qui-Gon's belt. And he's like, 
oh, you've got a laser sword and, you know, you know, you're a Jedi. So it meant something to the galaxy at large as well. If you saw that, you knew that person was a Jedi and you weren't going to mess with them. So, you know, it, it was a symbol of their power. It was, you know, an outward projection of their power to the, to the galaxy at large. You're a Jedi Knight, aren't you? What makes you think that? I saw your laser sword. Only Jedis carry that kind of weapon. Perhaps I killed a Jedi and took it from him. I don't think so. No one can kill a Jedi. Yeah, and we, uh, like I said, I had posed that question on Twitter regarding um, bleeding the uh, crystal um, when it came to uh, Sith uh, creating their lightsaber. Um, like I said, we got a lot of, uh, of interesting takes, and we'll, we'll get into it in a second. Um, there was a difference, too, between the kyber crystal of the Jedi and the kyber crystal of the sith in the expanded universe is uh brad i know you're a big expanded universe uh um fan uh from back in the day uh what is the main difference well you know that so the the lore of as you were saying the lore of the kyber crystal has evolved uh over time and how exactly the jedi got them um rob gave a good explanation of that earlier of where they go to the caves now uh, and the you know the, the kyber crystals called to them, but it was always known that the kyber crystals that the Jedi used were of natural uh, origin uh, that could be found in nature. However, the Sith uh, would use a, a synthetic uh, crystal, um, you know, and that was explained uh, different ways. Um, but it showed a basic difference between light side users and dark side users, and what kind of crystal they would use. Um, and that's why they were able to make theirs glow red because they use a synthetic crystal. Um, as you were saying now, this was, um, you know, recently, I guess it did, uh, you know, I saw some of the answers uh, from when you posed this on, on Twitter. I guess it has caused some bit of controversy. Uh, now, um, and this was actually, you know, uh, crafted by Charles Soule, who, you know, his work has been pretty well done so far. Uh, his, his Vader run was, was amazing. Um, but uh, I'm not sure if this was an original idea from him or if or it was the, uh, you know, the, the story group uh, at large that came up with it. But now, you know, a, a Sith will, will get a uh, traditional kyber crystal and they will, quote, as you said, make it bleed. Uh, and by that, they, they take it and they, they basically, uh, you know, channel all of their hatred into this crystal and uh, kind of just you know, deform it in, in, in a way. And, and that's what makes it glow red instead of the traditional, you know, green or blue or what have you. Um, so now they have to go through a ritual in order to make their kyber crystal glow red. Um, you know, when I, when I read the story, I thought it was, um, I, I wasn't against the story. Uh, I thought it was, like I said, I like Charles Soule work uh, anyway, but uh, you know, I thought it added another element to it. And the fact that, um, you can't just go get any crystal and, and, you know, make your own lightsaber. You had, he, you know, if you saw, uh, it, I think it was two or three issues they dedicated to this one. Um, you know, he had to, you know, track down a Jedi, kill him, take his lightsaber, take the crystal and then, and then make it bleed. You know, there was, the, there was a lot of work that he had to do in order to get this kyber crest, uh, crystal to, to glow red. Uh, so I think a lot adds a lot of cool elements to it for the Sith. 
I'm I'm really surprised to hear that there are people who, uh, from what you were saying, Ro, it sounded like there were some people that that had issues with the fact that kyber crystals are now bled. To me, it it made far more sense than the the idea of a synthetic crystal. This is one of the things I like that they've changed from the expanded universe, uh, because you know a synthetic crystal, there's no special. Uh, talent. I guess all you need is the recipe and the the right tools to create that kyber crystal. Uh, whereas the idea of of bleeding it to taking this kyber crystal and bending it to your will is something that is just utterly Sith. Uh, to to pour your hate and your rage and your fear and everything into this crystal and just warp it to your will is uh, is the core of what the Sith are, and uh, it makes perfect sense to me that 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 would be how they would go about. Um, you know, creating, creating their lightsaber crystals and, and making sure that they, because again, that whole idea of the crystal being attuned to the user, uh, and that would then, uh, you know, improve the efficiency that that crystal operated at. Of course, for it to be attuned to a Sith, it's, it's gotta be bent and twisted to their will. Yeah, absolutely. And I was doing some research because somebody had, uh, mentioned Charles soul, and I went back and I actually thought it was, I thought it went back a little further, uh, but doing the research, um, they said that the first mention or indication about a kyber crystal being bled was in the E.K. Johnston uh, Ahsoka novel, Ahsoka. which was yep. slightly earlier than than the Charles Soule uh, Star Wars run, which I thought was still later than I thought. I thought it was, I thought that uh, the bleeding of the Kyber crystal went a little farther than that. Um, but it's, uh, I, I do think it's an interest, interesting take uh, for the reasons that you, that you say, Rob, because I think, you know, the, the twisting of the force into, uh, you know, using the force for dark purposes, I think fits in real well with the ability to be able to somehow corrupt the nature of the kyber crystal, especially after taking it from a Jedi uh, in combat, I think that is totally on brand with the Sith. And uh, it, it is interesting to see how many people oppose that, because I think, uh, you know, obviously if you're an expanded universe purist, you're going to oppose it. But I think it really fits well within the story, within the lore of what the Sith are. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to note as well that in that Ahsoka novel, it's also the first example that we see. It's really the only example that I've seen of a, a crystal that had been bled, then being cleansed by, uh, in this case, not a Jedi, because Ahsoka had left the Jedi Order at this point. But she ended up uh, in that novel. Uh, she was kind of in hiding from the Empire. She was tracked down on uh, a planet far on the outer rim and uh, was, was tracked down by the sixth brother, who was one of the inquisitors and basically faced him in combat. He had his double, double bladed lightsaber that actually had two Kyber crystals in it. Uh, and she faced him down empty handed and basically was able to uh, create a, a, a dissonance within that lightsaber that caused it to explode in his hands and kill him and then she took those blood kyber crystals and essentially using the light side of the force uh healed them uh which is what led to her lightsabers from that point on having those pure white blades so uh just really interesting again that was another situation she had gone to ilum to to, to get lightsabers for i mean to get uh, kyber crystals for the lightsabers that she was constructing and when she reached out in the force to find 
um, you know, the song of those kyber crystals that that were intended for her. It drew her back to this planet where the sixth brother was waiting, and uh, and she realized that it was basically the force calling out to her that these were her crystals. She was going to have to reclaim them and cleanse them, uh, and then those pure white blades, which you know, for Ahsoka at that point in the storyline. Uh, she really was the embodiment of the light side of the force, probably one of the purest uh, users of the light side of the force in the galaxy at that point. So uh, totally, totally appropriate for her that when she cleansed those, they would be, you know, brilliant white blades. You're so knowledgeable, Rob. I read a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, inquisitors because um, I know we're going to talk in detail about uh, lightsabers being used as helicopters. Right, that's that's part of the show, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. We have an incoming transmission from the Scarab Scuttlebutt Hotline, Commander, and we can't withstand a voicemail of this magnitude. Bro and Rob, this is Todd from WSTR Galactic Public Access. You're talking about lightsabers. Um, and what can you say about them? They are the Excalibur of the Star Wars universe um, and the the civilized weapon for the Jedi. And, well, this is it. I think there's just another kind of thing that really separates Jedi not only visually from everyone else that handles a blaster or any other weapon or armament, but I really do enjoy the visualization of the lightsaber on screen and the sound. It all kind of comes together like everything else in Star Wars. And I think it's significant in the fact of it does take mastery and it does take uh, skill to yield something. Um, and I liked also the idea that they're kind of bringing out with the dark saber as well. Uh, you know, it, you know, Mando said it, it feels heavy. This is very similar to what we saw in Rebels with Sabine and, 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 and just how she was being trained. Um, and all that kind of stuff. I think it's awesome that they're kind of bringing that lore in as well. So have a great show. And that is the scuttlebutt. Thanks guys. Bye. Talking about people that kind of are, are not on board with that idea, uh, one of our uh, followers or participants in this poll, uh, Kilbo Fraggins at K Fraggins, uh, says, Can't say that I'm a fan of the crystal bleeding, as I think the synthetic aspect fits with their nature far better and works with the harmony versus discipline undertones of their conflict with the Jedi. Which to me is exactly the same reason why I would welcome the idea of bleeding the crystal, uh, because it it does kind of uh, you know go like I said with the the ideology of of the Sith, you know, twisting light uh, for their own uh, purposes. So it's it's interesting how. You know, we like I said, we got a lot of people that really were were against. We also have a lot of people that were okay with it. Um, but it's uh, I I do think it's a really cool idea, a really cool concept. I think it's a good point. I mean, I hadn't really considered it from that aspect. Uh, you look at Vader, right? You know, the the more limbs he lost, the farther he fell to the dark side. 
uh, from, you know, from Anakin to, uh, to ultimately Darth Vader. Uh, and there's certainly a lot of Sith in, in Canon and even in the EU and legends that, um, Certainly, you know, one of the things that occurred with them as they fell to the dark side or fell deeper into the dark side is they would lose their humanity uh, and often often as a byproduct of them losing limbs or um, things along those lines. So I get that link between, you know, synthetic synthetic body parts and that synthetic crystal. But um, to me, it's it's still far more appropriate, the bleeding, because that's something that every Sith would be doing. Uh, regardless of whether they had lost limbs or, uh, you know, we, we certainly saw a lot of Sith in the prequels that, that did not lose body parts. Um, and yet we're still deep in the dark side. I think, I think Rob, you know, got it with it, with his initial, uh, argument on this one, you know, it, uh, you know, if you go back and look at Sith lore, even if you, if you go back and play, you know, uh, you know, KOTOR or, or, uh, SWOTOR, you know, the Sith are not even, supposed to make it off Korriban or Moriban or wh- whichever planet you want to call it. Uh, you know, same planet, different name. <laughs> They're not even supposed to make it off the planet right there. And this is just another one of those trials for them, you know, uh, in, in, again, in the Joseph Campbell sort of storytelling, it's another belly of the beast type thing. They have to go through this and if they can't go through it, they can't go through it. And so they don't get to get to that next level uh, of being a Sith. So I've, I, I appreciate the answers, but I think in this case, what we saw uh, was, you know, people being EU purists for the sake of being EU purists on this one. I think the arguments definitely go in favor of making it bleed. Yeah. um, One of our uh, regular commenters and uh, debaters on uh, on Twitter, Ray Gunn Richards, um, and you guys were talking about how now we see a lot of lightsabers and we see. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, dark side users, a lot of light side users that have uh, used the lightsaber. And we get this line from Obi-Wan in the prequels, this weapon is your life when he uh, admonishes Anakin uh, and uh, reminds him to, you know, keep an eye on his weapon and don't lose it. But Raygun Richards has uh, an interesting point regarding um, his take on just another step in idolizing the lightsaber um, we talked about how, you know, Obi-Wan tells, uh, Luke that it's an elegant weapon, uh, more of a family heirloom and now powered by a force crystal, which creates some ill-defined affinity with its Jedi. But now we're, we're treating it as a religious object, almost, uh, a, a thing that we worship. Um, I wanted to get Brad's input on that because that that's an interesting take in to itself because, you know, we, we are obviously doing this episode because I think, you know, lightsabers are cool, but I, are, are people, and I don't know if people fans or people in universe, um, start using the lightsaber almost as a religious uh, artifact. And obviously we have talks about the church of the Jedi and the church of the force and all that stuff. What, what's your take on all that, Brad? It, it is a religious object. I mean, I don't, and I don't necessarily see the problem with that for the Jedi. I think it is a religious object. Um, and you mentioned the the different religions. Um, I mean, every, every you know, well, I'm say every, I don't want to speak in generalities, but most religions have some symbols uh, that represent them. And I think this is one. Um, and you mentioned uh, the different religions. And one of those, as we saw in Rogue One, uh, Guardians of the Wills, uh, 
Um, you know, that was, you know, one of the original names of, of Star Wars was, you know, the story of Luke Starkiller from his Journal of the Wills or whatever the hell it was named, right? Uh, these are the original, um, you know, worshippers of the Force uh, that weren't necessarily Jedi. Um, and then you have someone like Chirrut Imwe who, you know, gives a, uh, I, I don't know if the line really means anything, but, you know, the strongest stars have hearts of Kyber. So even the crystals that are embedded uh, into the into the lightsabers have religious significance to not just the Jedi, but for uh, followers of the Force around the galaxy. And, you know, you mentioned that line, which was, uh, you know, heard in uh, one of our favorite Star Wars, Rogue One. Uh, you've got Jyn Erso that's wearing a kyber crystal around her neck, and I think that's another aspect of, uh, you know, um, treating that object or at least the heart of that object as, as a religious artifact. Um, and it, you know, and it if, is interesting. I think, um, yeah. you know, if, for, you, if you look at the, and if you look, that's one of my favorite trivias, you know, about, you know, or very, you know, small moments of rogue one is where they're trying to get through the, the shield complex um, uh, there at the end. And uh, they don't know if they're going to be granted access. And she says a prayer and she holds her Kyber crystal. Um, so for them, it is a physical mm. manifestation of their religion. So I don't see he's not wrong, but at the same time, I don't see the problem with that either. And they were granted access through the shield gate. No, the other thing about it as well is that, uh, you know, that lightsaber was, it was, uh, Brad pointed out earlier, you know, just the sight of a lightsaber hanging from a, a Jedi's belt is like a badge of office. It's it's what identifies them as who they are. Uh, and certainly, you know, when you look at religious symbols, it's something that ties you with that religion very closely. Uh, with a Jedi's lightsaber, uh, that is basically shown through their <clears throat> their attenuation with that crystal as a, uh, a conduit to the Force. And so it's very personal. It's very, it's a holy object to them. Uh, and just as with so many religions, right, uh, can be used for good, it can be used for evil. And, and the lightsaber also reflects that as well. It can be used to defend, it can be used to kill uh, or wound. And and certainly, uh, you know, there were times where, where we saw both of those from people who uh, were acclaimed members of the Jedi Order. Yeah, I think uh, one of our patrons kind of sums it up uh, pretty well regarding the bleeding of the Sith. Uh, Melanie says, in recent canon, it reads to me like a binding ritual. It binds the Sith to the path and to their weapon. The idea of the corrupted Kyber fits. It's mocking the Jedi tradition while upholding the tenets of the Sith. I think that's... Uh, summed up pretty well um, when it comes to the, the new idea here. But, uh, you know, we, we definitely had a lot of people that were just totally against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, you know, the aforementioned uh, Kilbo Fraggins, but uh, we got uh, the star killer, uh, which basically says the making uh, the crystal bleed is one of the dumbest additions to the canon. Not surprising. It comes from Charles soul. I guess he has a problem with Charles soul. I think it fits. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, it's the desecration of a holy object uh, that the Jedi, you know, revere. So in that regard, you know, it's it's a perfect vessel for the Sith as well. And look, I, I'm not a fan of a lot of what's out there with the High Republic. I, I think that it's, um, you know, that that series has been used as more of a, a vessel for, um, 
them making political statements <laughs> within uh, kind of wrapped in Star Wars, but uh, certainly the the Vader comics were excellent. Let's see here. I'm going through the uh, Twitter questions here too. Uh, most of them, I mean, I think we hit on most of them already. Um, I think we, you know, if we just talk about, uh, you know, uh, favorite, uh, you know, favorite designs and, you know, uh, reaction to Darth Maul's double bladed and, and stuff like that, I think it's a good way to take it. All right, time for the big thank yous podcast family to those of you that support the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. Team Scarif gives you all a heartfelt thank you, wonderful people who have found it in their hearts to support our show. We're super lucky to have you. Folks like Amanda, Jedi Caligula 89, Joey Rosales. What up, Joey? The Salty Crew at the Salty Nerd Podcast, Alex and Matt. Super fan of many of the Red 5 Network pods, Nicholas Schaefer. Follow him at Backyard Tardis. What's up, Nick? Our Star Wars celebration friend, Chad, at Hyperspace and Holocrons. Jay from Florida, our other Floridians, Frank, at the garrison level. Big thanks. And looking at you, Steve, from Rogue One Radio. Check out that Red 5 pod for movies, music, TV, and more. And certainly not least, our executor level patrons, 97 Bravo and the Conversions Podcast. And Scott and Kim from the Used and Abused Podcast. Big thank you, Red Fivers. Go give them a follow. And our newest garrison-level patron, Melanie Marquita. Big hugs to you, my friend. Huge respect to all our patrons for your support. And if you want to become more involved in the Scarif Scuttlebutt community and feel like becoming a patron, head over to patreon.com slash scuttlebutt. Remember, we can't have the scuttle without the butt. And don't forget, it's always sunny on Scarif with patrons like you. One of the things that we see throughout the series uh, as a whole um, are not only new lightsaber battles, but we see new lightsabers in general. Obviously, with uh, the prequels that came out, we see that wonderful double-bladed lightsaber um, uh, wielded by uh, Darth Maul. Um, The first sight was amazing. Um, you saw that first side light up and then all of a sudden that second side comes out and extends out the opposite way. Um, I, I gotta tell you, I was super excited. And like I said, with each new movie, you had new fights, new, new ways of doing it. And, uh, you know, one of the things that people don't understand really, I, I think is that, uh, each lightsaber move has a name. I think there's, uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Jedi Archivist. Um, there are certain uh, moves and certain uh, motions uh, and fight styles that uh, a Jedi employs to uh, vanquish his uh, his or her enemy. Yeah, I mean, it's not so much the individual moves themselves. And so, uh, you know, they've got f- just typical titles like Form 1, Form 2, Form 3, Form 4, Form 5. Uh, but they also have uh, a secondary name that they're known by. So there's a Treyu and um, 
some various other names for the the lightsaber styles. So, uh, and it was they were all based around uh, whether they were more defensive oriented, whether they were uh, better for attacking, whether they were better for deflecting lightsaber bolts. Uh, and typically, Jedi would would specialize in one of those forms. If you could master one of those forms in your lifetime, uh, that was considered a, a pretty huge accomplishment for a Jedi. No, I was I was just gonna say that uh, Ro, you were talking about the double bladed lightsaber and how incredible that was when we saw that from Darth Maul. And the only thing that exceeded that was uh, in the Clone Wars when we get introduced to a Jedi by the name of Pong Krell who was uh, a basilisk Jedi master who actually has four arms and his fight style used two double-bladed lightsabers. Uh, So just think of how awesome it was to see uh, Darth Maul fighting with that dual-bladed lightsaber and then the skill that would be required to wield two of those at the same time. He needed four arms because I can't imagine the learning curve of trying to practice with two of those guys. Let's go through the uh, incarnations of each of the lightsabers uh, throughout the series. We've had quite a few. And, uh, you know, now that we are, you know, nine movies in, uh, you know, not uh, counting Rogue One, we've got the animated shows uh, with, uh, obviously, Rob just mentioned uh, character in the Clone Wars. We've got a lot of lightsabers to kind of look back at, uh, don't we, Rob? The dark side. And the light. It's funny you uh, you give Kylo Ren's lightsaber some some flack there, but you know that f- one of those early trailers of the Force Awakens when he comes out in the forest and he ignites that first part, and all of a sudden the two you know side uh, panels ignited. Yeah, the cross guards. I mean, that was pretty badass. I'm like, damn, what is what is this all about? You know, we 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 are used to seeing you know new and exciting things in each incarnation of a Star Wars movie. And I think that's, that was one of them. Yeah. I was, re- I was really hoping they'd go with the more logical <laughs> lightsaber, uh, which would have been Ray having a light side dual wield lightsaber or not dual wield, but uh, double bladed, uh, which I, I feel like they still missed out on, even though they had the entire trilogy to, uh, to rectify that situation. And I do need to correct myself from earlier. There's actually seven lightsaber forms uh, as opposed to five. So. Well, I, I know you can't count uh, that high, so I, I was it's giving hard. you some extra room there. <laughs> All right, it's time to pay the bills. Hey, I'm excited. We got a new sponsor on the podcast. Alex, why don't you tell the folks what we got? What's up, Star Wars fans? Today's episode of the Scarif Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Organically Wonderful. Organically Wonderful is a small business that is dedicated to bringing you 100% pure, organic, non-toxic beauty products like dry shampoo and body oil. And if you go to their website and check out the list of things that you can buy, and then when you buy them, you can type in ScuttleBuddies15 and get 15% off your entire purchase. That's ScuttleBuddies15. 15 for 15% off. Head on down to organicallywonderful.com and say thank you to Organically Wonderful for bringing you the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. And may the force be with you.
You know, on another uh, on another show, we should talk about the evolution of force powers through the movies. But, you know, I was thinking of, uh, you know, when Kylo Ren um, froze that laser bolt in midair, uh, which was, uh, you know, kind of cool in The Force Awakens. But, you know, The Force Awakens had, um, you know, Kylo's uh, lightsaber. We, we didn't really see any new incarnations of uh, of that weapon um, in the sequel trilogy. It was kind of a one and done um even the the battle seemed a little rudimentary although you know there are some you know halfway decent sequences between kylo and ray uh in the sequel trilogy we all know how we feel about those three films here at the scare of scuttlebutt podcast but um there you know there is uh there are some moments that are uh you know memorable i guess to us uh we're not gonna lie we're not gonna sit here and and bash the films a hundred percent but um, yeah, one of the things that I think uh, was missed was uh, maybe some uh, new techniques uh, as far as uh, lightsaber uh, battles goes. I think, you know, episode one, uh, which came out in what, 1999, still probably stands out as the best lightsaber on lightsaber action in a Star Wars. I think nothing has come close to uh to beating the the excitement the 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 swiftness and quickness of that battle and and actually you know what uh, that battle represents i think we heard uh we heard uh, dave filoni uh you know explain uh the, as best he could um about the duel of the fates and what it represents and um i think uh you know it's going to be hard pressed to to be able to top that I don't know. I would say uh, I would say the combat between Anakin and Obi Wan and in uh, Revenge of the Sith uh, exceeded it a little bit for me. I mean, certainly it wasn't. Um, after having not seen Star Wars for so long, when Episode One came out, that combat between two Jedi and a Sith using a double bladed lightsaber um, and the speed and and ferocity of that fight was something that we had never seen in Star Wars before. Uh, but some of the sequences in that fight in Revenge of the Sith were absolutely incredible. Uh, and to have it occurring between two people who had, you know, been brothers up until that point added an emotional aspect of it um, that we hadn't seen. But certainly a lot of uh, a lot of what we saw in the prequels, a lot of the best of what we saw in the prequels had to do with uh, some of the lightsaber dueling. I, I do have to say regarding the uh, Duel of the Fates fight and especially that segment that Brad was talking about, that 8 to 12 seconds uh, where Qui-Gon and, and Maul were facing off, you know, leading to Qui-Gon's death, uh, where, where Obi-Wan just had to watch that sequence unfold from the other side of the uh, the containment shield, that actually comes back uh, and is referenced again in Star Wars Rebels when Maul tracks down Obi-Wan in the desert and Obi-Wan, and this is one of the things I love so much about Obi-Wan. Well, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. One of the great things about Obi-Wan is he, he never makes the same mistake twice and he learns from every situation he is in. And he literally telegraphs that same move uh, to Maul and forces him to make the same move he used to kill Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan was ready for it and, uh, and defeated him as a, as a result of that. So, um, when I saw that the first time I just had chills go through me, I, even talking about it now, I, I get chills, uh, just thinking about what a wonderful job they do of 
really putting layers in most of what we see in Star Wars that uh, it's an excellent story on its base level. But if you are a student of the films and what goes on uh, and, and have watched them enough to be able to recognize those types of things, there's a whole nother layer uh, waiting to be found. Yeah, it, it's absolutely incredible uh, the amount of thought that went behind that battle. You mentioned how Dave Filoni kind of explained his thought process. You know, should we do a long battle? Should we do a shorter one? And it really does make a lot of sense. It makes, uh, I was kind of on the fence when I first saw it. I thought it was really clever, but I didn't know why at first. And I'm like, yeah, I, I did want a longer battle. I wanted the rematch of the century, not to quote Kathleen Kennedy on that, but I did want a rematch of the century. Uh, between these two characters but what we got really in universe uh it really made a lot of sense and in retrospect it was just it was nothing short than than genius to be able to do that and rob you made such a great point about obi-wan not uh, making the same mistake twice i think it's something that obviously affected him um as a jedi you know you know, growing up and as a young Padawan uh, to be able to, to witness the death of, of his master the way he did and the fury that went into those first few seconds uh, when the ratio dropped uh, were, again, just super exciting and, and super meaningful to that character. And to be able to kind of use that, uh, you know, people don't think that that must have been weighing on his mind all these years until oh, yeah. he saw Maul again in the desert, which I think is great. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I would expect that anytime you see a traumatic event like that unfold before your eyes and there's literally nothing you can do about it, uh, I, anybody would replay that moment over and over and over in their head. Uh, so certainly he had all the impetus he would have needed to uh, to think his way through that and, and to figure out how he could bait Maul into trying that same move. <sighs> Look what has become of you. A rat in the desert. Look what I have risen above. I have come to kill you, but perhaps it's worse to leave you here festering in your squalor. If you define yourself by your power to take life, your desire to dominate, to possess, then you have nothing and what do you have? Yeah, and I, I will reiterate, I've, I've got a running theory that the absolute worst way to ever try to kill a Force user is to, buy, you know, is to throw them down a well or out a window or any other type of uh, long drop. Uh, it, it fails every time. It failed with Maul. It failed with Palpatine. It failed with Luke. Uh, so this whole concept of uh, you know Mace Windu possibly still being alive out there if there was uh, anyone who could survive it, it'd be uh, Force User. So uh, before we have any closing thoughts, I wanted to uh, see if all three of us, uh, and hopefully Brad won't hear me seven seconds after I say this, but um, I want us to all uh, do our best Darth Maul in the desert imitation chasing Kenobi. Ready? Three, two, one. Kenobi! Why come to this place? Not simply to hide. Oh, you have a purpose here. Perhaps you are protecting something. No, protecting someone.
Excellent, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Uh, any closing thoughts on lightsabers uh, as uh, an elegant weapon? Uh, we uh, certainly uh, had some great uh, discussion here on this episode, but uh, final thoughts on the lightsaber. For me, the biggest uh, the biggest hole in lightsabers is uh, force user. Why wouldn't you just use your connection to the force to deactivate the other the other guy's saber and uh, <laughs> time it so that your saber passes right through where theirs was and strike a killing blow? But uh, apparently, they were always on guard against that. Yeah, why? That's a that's a good uh, tactic there. Coolest weapon in the galaxy. Uh, I have a few, and uh, Rob, I'll be uh, checking out your lightsaber at ScarifCon. That sounded really weird. <laughs> I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. <laughs> Come on! Excellent. And speaking of Schwartz, tell the folks uh, where to find you and uh, your show, Rob. Yeah, I'll be uh, huddled in my basement, uh, but you can certainly check out the show at jtapodcast.com. It should be out there on any of your podcatchers. Uh, you can reach out to me via email at jtapodcast at gmail.com. And we are on Twitter and Instagram and the various socials at jtapodcast. So uh, check us out there, drop a line, and uh, let us know what your thoughts are. And if you have any uh, topics you are interested in hearing about for a future show. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much for joining uh, Brad and myself here at the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Guys, thank you very much for joining us. If you are a first-time listener, thanks for trying us out. If you are an old-time listener, thanks for continuing to hang out with us here at the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. If you like the show, tell a friend, give us a follow, and uh, hit us over on the YouTube. We also do a live show every Saturday uh, on various topics. We're going to be covering Obi-Wan Kenobi when that show drops, but uh, check us out Saturday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. Uh, Scare Live, join us. Uh, if you have any suggestions or you wanted to comment on the lightsaber topic tonight, Send us, uh, send us a voicemail at 773-234-8659. That is the Scare of Scuttlebutt hotline. Gentlemen, it has been a pleasure for you to see me. And that's the Scuttlebutt. <laughs> Excellent. I knew Brad was on a delay. <laughs> I, I, I was checking. I was, I was, I was too, uh, too busy staring at your probe droid. Oh, that sounded terrible, too. <laughs> Touch it. Greetings, listener. Just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the Red 5 Network family. Red5Network.com offers you a great variety of shows you'll be sure to love. So the next time you're itching for quality content, make sure you head over to Red5Network.com. You'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more. All wings report in. It's the Red 5 Network. <laughs>